that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back. It's Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Happy Monday. Doug Maurice with Nathan Baird. Stephen Means, the NFL draft is over, and we're going to talk about that. The Ohio State Buckeyes had 10 picks in the 2020 NFL draft uh, on Sunday morning, Ryan Day had a conference call with reporters to kind of wrap up everything. So we'll let you know what Ryan Day said about that. Um, but we also texted out some stuff about that right after it happened on Sunday. So if you'd like to be part of that and you haven't tried the text, we just got a text subscriber who, who sent this to us on Sunday. They said they tried the two-week free trial. They really like it, and they're sticking around. So thanks so much to that person. But that's what's happening. For people who are trying the text, if you want to know what it's about, send a text right now to 614-350-3315. It'll tell you how to sign up. 14-day free trial. You can ask questions that appear on the podcast. You can ask questions that we just text back to you. We send out little tidbits and insight. We'd love to have you as a tech subscriber in addition to being a listener to the Buckeye Talk podcast. So let's dive right in, Stephen and Nathan, to the thing that bugged number one thing that Ryan Day was upset about on Sunday morning. Um, Nathan, what did did Ryan Day have to say about K.J. Hill falling to the seventh round to the Los Angeles Chargers? You know, a coach like Ryan Day should have a really good perspective on this because he was in the NFL. He spent time in the NFL as a position coach. He knows that it's cutthroat. He knows that the evaluation there goes beyond production, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, even because, even considering that, um, the words he was using were uh, confused and frustrated. Um, I think he he doesn't understand. He, I think he, he, he looks – he knows that running a 4.640 doesn't blow away evaluators. He knows that there are some questions about K.J. Hill's size or his catch radius and all these m- kind of more advanced things. But at the end of the day, he also understands that the guy just kept getting open and kept catching passes against – good defenses, whether that was in the Big Ten, whether that was against the first-round draft picks in practice that Ohio State keeps turning out, and he he doesn't he can't mesh that. And I think that's where a lot of people get to. I think even those of us who would say, I think I predict him to go in the fourth round um, in the things that we did, I understand why he maybe didn't go in the fourth round, but I was pretty shocked that he fell all the way to the seventh round. I thought someone would just see him at some point that the production would mean more than the, um, the the measurements. And I think that's where Ryan Day is struggling with today, too, is that um, at some point, yes, the measurements are important, but at some point the production should kick in and, and matter, too. So uh, in our pre-draft predictions, and we did this for, for the Ohio State guys, we all just took a shot at where we thought they'd go. Uh, I said K.J. Hill would go at the end of the third round, uh, number 103, Steven said he'd go very high in the fourth round at number 106. Nathan said he would go number 123 um, in the fourth round. And the reality was that he went in the seventh round, and that was at pick number... 220, I believe it was. 220, is that right? There were even some KJs that were like... A couple KJs like went off the board ahead of him. It was like, oh, and I saw when it is number pick 220 to the Los Angeles Chargers. So, I mean, I was off by more than 100 picks. Um, I saw a couple 
like Big Ten highlights that they were showing when other guys got picked earlier than K.J. Hill. And it was like, oh, the highlight is this guy who just got picked tackling K.J. Hill. And it was like, oh, man, like K.J. Hill, where is he? Steven, like how would you describe your level, the, your reaction to K.J. Hill at 220 in the seventh round? Were you I, – I, I, by, going by Twitter, I would say the reaction of some members of the Ohio State beat were that they were in tears. They were running around yeah. the block screaming to Tim the potential. gods. Why? Why did you do this to me? K.J. Hill at 220? Life is so unfair. That was oh. the reaction of some Ohio State reporters. Steven, were you running around your apartment complex screaming at the sky? No, I was not acting like I was K.J. Hill and catching a temper tantrum all over the timeline. No, I was shocked that he fell that low because, you know, he is – no, the, the the athleticism isn't there the way it is with a lot of other receivers in this very deep receiver NFL draft. But – like Brian Hartline said, he had the best hands on the team last year. He's a reliable guy who, regardless of his speed and his athleticism and his height, he got he found ways to get open and, you know, he caught the ball a lot, especially in the last two years with Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields as his quarterback. So I was shocked that he fell that low. But, no, I was not, you know, bawling on the, my kitchen floor that K.J. Hill fell in the NFL draft. No. So the – the thing that part of it that surprised me, and, and, and I texted this out, that there have been guys over the years at Ohio State who didn't have the best athletic profile. And, th- and there are guys who I was shocked, you know, went much lower or even were undrafted when I thought they'd be drafted. And usually if that's the case, it is based on athleticism. But I was a little surprised. I, for instance, predicted that Jordan Fuller would not be drafted and – Part of my reasoning for why I thought Jordan Fuller would not be drafted is that I don't think Jordan Fuller is like the most athletic guy in the world. I think he's like a really solid, productive safety. But like, you know, you compare him to Malik Hooker or Von Bell or or some of these other guys who have come, even what Josh Proctor might be. You know, I think he's a tad short on the athleticism. But Jordan Fuller went in the sixth round at 199 to the Rams. I think like K.J. Hill and Jordan Fuller, are kind of similar guys. And like for Jordan Fuller at, at safety, which seems, I don't know, less of a little bit of a premium position to me. I was just surprised by that. Um, I will say, I think KJ, I was surprised. I would have drafted him higher. I think he does fit in his own way in the NFL. I think it's not great for him. Like everybody joked like, over the past year of like, oh, he'd be a perfect fit for the Patriots in the slot, right? That you just find like a professional guy who's not the greatest athlete, but has good hands. And, but the implication was that is that if you put a guy like KJ Hill in a good system with a good QB, he might be good. I'm not sure that going to the Chargers who have a good defense, but aren't exactly an exemplary NFL franchise right now. And he's going in with Justin Herbert now or Tyrod Taylor. Like they got rid of Phillip Rivers. He's not going to play with the veteran, you know, pro bowl level quarterback. They're going to, you know, maybe they'll start Tyrod Taylor, but they're going to start working in Justin Herbert soon. Like I, you know, that's not the greatest thing in the world for KJ Hill. Cause I do think KJ flourishes more with just a professional veteran who, if KJ knows how to get open, that veteran quarterback will know how to get him the ball. 
I, I guess the corollary to that, though, is that uh, in San Diego, or sorry, Los Angeles, <laughs> you have two really talented outside receivers right now, and he can kind of fit in underneath that. Um, I, I do think that there's something to be – I think that his – I think who he is probably did depress his draft stock this year, um, especially this year. We talked about how the depth at the receiver position was going to probably push people like Ben Victor and Austin Mack completely out of a seven round draft. And that's what happened. I think we were surprised that it may have done a little bit of the same thing to KJ Hill, just that there was so much receiver talent. And the fact that he was only a slot guy in, in quotes, only a slot guy probably did push him farther down. Cause I think sometimes once you get into that third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, even if a team has a need, they're probably drafting more for upside because I think they, they, they see guys being a little bit equal at that point. So I, I do think, I don't know. I, I might feel the other way. I feel like that. Yes. There is obviously it would be better if you were having Tom Brady throw passes to him. Um, most receivers, that's that's going to be the case. But I think that the setup in Los Angeles could be interesting for him just because you have two really dynamic guys already on the outside. He can kind of fit in underneath that. Nathan, you kind of just touched on the fact Ben Victor and Austin Mack undrafted, both signed as undrafted free agents with the New York Giants. Steven, the idea that neither Ben Victor nor Austin Mack were drafted, I thought it was interesting on the broadcast, Mel Kuyper, they kept flashing like in the seventh round. They would scroll through Mel Kuyper's 10 best players available. And on Mel Kuyper's list, he had Ben Victor ahead of K.J. Hill. That there was a time when it was like for a while, the eighth best player left, according to Kuyper, was Victor. And the 10th best player still available was Hill. First of all, what do you think of Mel Kuyper? Do you want to rip Mel Kuyper for that? And like, did you think Victor and Mac had a shot to get drafted or did or were you sort of expecting that they wouldn't? No, I wasn't surprised that they didn't get drafted. Uh, they didn't really blow th- blow anybody away at the combine the way that, you know, Terry McCoy, Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon did last year. And also the lack of a pro day, you know, they don't get to improve on that and show their wide receiver skills as, as much as those guys get. There's no extra opportunities to put things on film. The bit bigger thing's interesting though, because I just think, Ben Victor still looks the, like a guy who could, you know, bust out in the NFL just because he's 6'4", 198 pounds. You can just put him in a lot of different places. While K.J. Hill, as Nathan just said, he's quote-unquote just a slot guy. So there's, it just seems like there's a lot more versatility Ben Victor can bring to the table. Now, obviously, you know, he hasn't showed it consistently at the Ohio – at the college level, but just that size and when you – that eye test that he passes, I think is part of the reason why he was ahead of – K.J. Hill on some of those best available boards, even though, as we all know, as we've watched, K.J. Hill's probably the better you know, technical wide receiver. I don't want to turn this into a Rip Ben Victor section, but you're talking about, like, his versatility and his eye test. He's just tall. What's his second thing? It's like we all love tall receivers, and it's like, uh, he's yeah. tall. What is the second thing? You said he's versatile, and he has – what is number yeah, two it's on Ben Victor's skill it's, set? It's, it's, literally, it's literally he's a tall receiver, which is, you know. He's a not fast. Thing in the NFL. He's not yeah. fast. He doesn't have great hands. He's not reliable. He doesn't get open all the time. He doesn't run. Like, what's his second thing? That's the opposite. He's the opposite of KJ Hill, right? I mean, in yeah. some ways, because like Ben Victor has some of those eye test things. One ma- thing, ma- mainly, not mainly is height. Okay, what? mainly is height. But I'm just saying, I, if you if you if you've never watched the guys play and they both walk into a room and you had to guess which one's going to be a better wide receiver, you might you pick Ben, ben Victor, Victor just on just on eye appearance alone. But what? But Ryan Day talked about this, right? He said that like you know, it, it's if 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 a guy he was talking about. Um, 
in relation to KJ Hill, he's like, well, maybe if a guy, you know, couldn't get open and doesn't catch the ball, then you've got a problem. Um, and, and how that's the opposite of the case for KJ Hill, that no matter whatever else you say about him, he gets open and he catches the ball. So I think that, that that's, again, that kind of plays into why his, what he was kind of frustrated about was that that wasn't getting um, the um, the recognition it deserved, I guess. But at the same time, I, I mean, I'm sure that teams were doing their due diligence and having conversations with, with Ryan Day about that. And he, he also, and, and the rest of the coaching staff, and he also brought up a point when he was talking about J.K. Dobbins that there were probably teams that if they needed a running back would have drafted Dobbins earlier than they did. Then he got drafted eventually at 55 and that, that, that fit does play into this and need does play into this. And there might've been teams that in another year would have taken a shot at KJ Hill higher because they needed a receiver like that, but this year they don't. And that's, and, and it, it's, it's, it's not easy to get drafted and it's, it's sure not easy to stick in the league after that. I was uh, on some of the conference calls with the Browns people after the draft. And, and I think there's a very interesting, a, m- a more interesting direct comparison for KJ um, than Ben Victor is the guy that the Browns took in the sixth round. That's very familiar to Ohio state fans. And that's Donovan Peoples Jones who was the number one overall receiver recruit in the class of 2017, the number 12 overall player in the class of 2017. Again, that's the class where like Chase was seven and Okuda was eight. Um, That's where Donovan Peoples-Jones was the Chase Young and Jeff Okuda of the receiver position. Ohio State recruited him really hard. I have a very, very vivid memory, and I am certainly not a great recruiting writer, but being at an Ohio State camp when Donovan Peoples-Jones was 15 years old, and Ohio State had been the first school to offer him and talking to him at that camp. And it's like you're talking to a 15-year-old kid. But a lot of times, Ohio State, lots of times your first offer when you're a guy like that, it's like it comes from a Mac school. You know, it's coming from a school that's trying to – if their only shot is to get in and show you love early. Ohio State was the first team to offer a ninth grader from a Detroit high school. That's how much Ohio State liked this guy. And Urban Meyer went after this guy for years. They went after him early. They went after him late. Ari wrote a story that I was rereading. Like he was on a, a, on a visit to Ohio State in October of his senior year. And Michael Drake and Gene Smith were under the stands with him having a private conversation. That's what they do when they put on the full court press. They love this kid. And he went to Michigan. And at Michigan, like it never worked. And I wanted to share this stat because I looked it up as I wrote it. There's a column on Cleveland.com you can read about the Browns picking him. In the three years that Donovan Peoples-Jones was at Michigan, in those three years, Michigan had 8,291 passing yards. In those same three years, Ohio State had 12,463 passing yards. So Ohio State in three years had 4,000 more passing yards that Donovan Peoples-Jones could have been part of at Ohio State. Um, I'm not trying to do a recruiting commercial for Ohio State, but my point here is this. Donovan Peoples-Jones had 100 fewer catches in his college career than K.J. Hill. But athletically, that dude, he had the best vertical jump and the best broad jump among receivers at the Combine. He's several inches taller than KJ. He's about 15 pounds heavier than KJ, and he ran much faster than KJ. He ran in the high four fours. That guy didn't produce, right? He did not produce at the level anybody expected, but he still has the raw natural talent. And the Browns were a team that I thought maybe could be in the mix for KJ. I've said maybe he's a Jarvis Landry type. They could have taken KJ Hill in the sixth round. 
And they said instead they took a much less productive guy with a much higher athletic skill set. And again, that's you can argue with that if you want to. And who will be if you had to bet right now, who will be the better pro receiver? I might say it's 50-50 on KJ and Donovan Peoples Jones. Because I actually think there's a possibility that Michigan's lack of offensive efficiency for the three years really hurt that guy and he might end up being pretty good. But I'd say it's 50-50. But I get I get it. Like, I get that why you take DPJ over KJH at that point. So I want to go on a small detour on this. Steven, all the stuff that I just said, and again, we are not an Ohio State recruiting commercial. <clears throat> Other podcasts might be. Does that sound like an Ohio State recruiting commercial <laughs> in this circumstance? Because I don't want to say if Donovan Peoples-Jones had gone to Ohio State, he would have been drafted higher. That's not exactly fair. But could you maybe kind of say that? If you really, really wanted to stretch it to that level, you could say that without context of, let's just be honest here, the quarterbacks that K.J. Hill caught passes from in comparison to the quarterbacks Donovan Peoples-Jones caught passes from are, there's a wide gap between those two. And I, that plays a part into it, but also just the offensive schemes each team runs. But, yeah, if you don't want to add in any context and just look at it from a sure development standpoint, you could turn it into a recruiting commercial of, hey, we turned the three, four-star kid into an NFL player while the number one wide receiver in his class went to Michigan and he underachieved vastly. Last thing I want to hit on this receiver conversation, and then I want to get back to what Nathan brought up with some of the J.K. Dobbins stuff, because we also haven't really talked about J.K. We did this. If The Friday podcast was heavy on the first round and what happened with Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and Damon Arnett. So if you didn't listen to that, make sure you listen to that Friday podcast, and we, we covered what happened there. But we haven't had a podcast since the second round, since J.K. was drafted. I want to hit on this last thing with slot receivers. K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell were a devastating offensive combo. They were Ohio State's two leading receivers in 2018 with Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne and Ryan Day found a way to use both those two H's who basically split time. They were equally as effective while being very different players. Paris Campbell was a second-round pick. K.J. Hill was a seventh-round pick. Curtis Samuel was kind of a half-slot receiver, half-running back for Ohio State. He was a second-round pick. Braxton Miller was a quarterback, and then in his last year was a slot receiver hybrid guy for Ohio State. Braxton Miller was a third-round pick. I get it on the athleticism. When you talk about Curtis Samuel, Braxton Miller, and Paris Campbell, they are athletically far and ahead, far and away ahead of K.J. Hill. If I had to go by who I think coming out of, the, out of, high, uh, coming out of Ohio State, if I ranked those four slot guys for Ohio State based on how successful I thought they would be in the NFL. And I understand that might be different than where I would take them because I think with the super athletic guys, as I just said, maybe you take a risk because if it hits, it really hits. And KJ, I think has definitely a, a lower ceiling, but also probably a much a higher floor than some of them. I would have said coming out of Ohio state, I would have thought Curtis Samuel would be the most successful NFL guy of those four. I would have thought Braxton Miller was the least successful NFL guy. I would have put KJ second and Paris third. And that's because I think Paris and Braxton were more like athletes playing that position who didn't have the complete receiver skills that KJ has. 
And I think KJ, I mean, when you compare KJ and Braxton, Braxton was overdrafted. I was not at all surprised the way his NFL career shook out. He was an athlete who I think could have been such an intriguing quarterback if, in a world if things had gone differently. And he had some qualities at quarterback that were going to have trouble translating to the NFL. But I think, I think there would have been a shot there. Once he got to receiver, he's not a receiver. It's not his fault. He's not a receiver. And to just say, well, you're a good athlete. Go play in the NFL in a position that you don't really know how to play. Everybody in the NFL is a good athlete. That's not enough. KJ knows how to play receiver. I would definitely draft KJ Hill ahead of Braxton Miller. So, like, I'm not crying, but I do think KJ has slot receiver skills that will translate, and I'll be very curious to see how it goes. Nathan, I want to get to some of these other guys. You brought up J.K. Dobbins going in the second round to the Baltimore Ravens. Ryan Day was asked on the call Sunday, like, maybe should K- should J.K. have come back? Is this some kind of thing that, like, he somehow made a mistake? I thought that was a bonkers question. What do you think about where J.K. went, what it says about his decision, and what that fit might be with the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, I don't think there is a decision. I mean, he he had to come out this year. I think there were definitely some factors that probably played against him, namely the injury lingering the way it did. You know, it was it was too bad that one of the things that he proved, I thought, in the playoff game against Clemson was his durability and his toughness. I mean, he left the field twice because of this injury, came back, gutted it out, and he was one of the reasons they had a chance to win that game. Um, but at the same time, that may have contributed to the injury lingering into the combine. And also, maybe if circumstances are different, we don't know anything about COVID-19 in February. At least we didn't really in this country. And um, and he so, – so he thinks at the time at the combine where he's passing up things, he thinks, well, I'll just get to come back and do that at Pro Day, and that doesn't happen. So that may have affected his, his draft status. But, no, you have to come out when in a situation like his because – and Ryan Day said this, too, during our teleconference day. He kind of snuck it in, and I think it might have got past some people – Talking about the quarterbacks, he was talking about how it's not just getting drafted, it's about getting into the league. But also another thing he said was you have to you get in, you get your first contract, you play through it, you stick in the league, and then you get that second contract. That's where you get a lot of times the life-changing money. When you're a guy who's getting drafted down second, third, fourth round, and beyond, certainly. But that's where you can really set yourself up. It's getting to that second contract. That's not just in football. That's in basketball. That's in a lot of sports. It's about getting in the league and sticking. And I think Baltimore is a really interesting spot for JK because of the way that they are not just set up to run the ball, but the way they are obviously committed to running the ball. It was interesting listening to John Harbaugh's interviews where it's like, I mean, they already have, you know, they have a guy who went to the pro bowl last year as a running back. They've got two other young running backs in that room. And yet they still felt that JK was like too good of a talent to pass up. They wanted more skill talent and they, they grabbed him at 55. Uh, in the end, J.K. Dobbins goes behind Jonathan Taylor. It's kind of um, the latest in the, the J.K. Dobbins-Jonathan Taylor rivalry. Um, in the end, J.K. got the wins. Jonathan Taylor got the awards and the higher draft position. Um, what did you think of that, Stephen? Again, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was the first running back taken with the last pick in the first round. And DeAndre Swift went ahead of J.K., um, Jonathan Taylor went ahead of JK and Cam Akers from Florida state. I thought was interesting. That was like a five-star guy that Ohio state recruited really hard. And he went to Florida state did not have the kind of career that JK had, but he was drafted ahead of JK. What did you think in the end of Jonathan Taylor, um, kind of winning out over JK and draft stock? 
I think it's it's not that surprising given, you know, we've all had our gripes in thinking that J.K. Dobbins is the better running back than Jonathan Taylor, but the national perception has always been Jonathan Taylor was the better running back than J.K. Dobbins. And some of that is because of the numbers and just how, you know, Jonathan Taylor, that entire offense was centered around literally giving him the ball as many times as humanly possible. While I think the perception with J.K. is, yeah, J.K. is a really good running back, but also there are 30 million other weapons on the offense as well that are taking attention away from that. So, I think I read, like, somebody tweeted out the fact that, you know, J.K. Dobbins benefited from an explosive offensive line and an explosive passing game. I think it was Zach Smith who tweeted that out. Who they, he, he benefited from the other talented talent that was around him at Ohio State that he's also really good back, so it leads to things like 2,000 yards in the season. I think that plays a role in the wide Jonathan Taylor has always had the perception of being better. And once again, that's shown here in the NFL draft where he's taken, you know, there's a whole – there's a whole other running back in between where Jonathan Taylor was taken and where J.K. Dobbins ended up being taken. Can I just make a quick point here? No <laughs> referencing Zach Smith tweets on this podcast. <laughs> I got you. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't care. He might have – he, he could say I just had a conversation with Roger Goodell and I have all – I don't care. Um, that is the last time. I'll get the editor to take that out next time that a Zach Smith tweet comes up. Um, Ten picks, Young Okuda Arnett, Dobbins, Devon Hamilton, Jonah Jackson, Malik Harrison, Jordan Fuller, K.J. Hill, Jay Sean Cornell, um, Robert Landers not picked, Brandon Bowen not picked, Rashad Berry not picked, Mack and Victor not picked. Uh, you kind of had done some stuff, Nathan, pre-draft on some of the, like, some of those lower-ranked guys um, trying to, like, you know, figure it out and get a, get a shot at, you know, trying to get drafted. What did you think of the idea of Jay Sean Cornell going at the 21st pick of the seventh round to the, to the Detroit lions. Did that surprise you at all, Nathan? It, I don't know if it surprised me because I feel like seventh round and undrafted free agent. I don't know that there's a huge difference there um, in terms of the way teams are, are looking at them. I, I did think it was though, I, I kind of felt like good for him a little bit um, just because I think he was a guy that one of the more anonymous people in the defense, certainly outside of Ohio state, right? Like if you were to ask people around college football, even people who follow college football, like name Ohio State defensive players, very, very few of them are going to get down to Jay Sean Cornell, even though he was an important guy as a three technique and what he could do with that defense. And also he was a guy that I had, I had talked to a little bit during the process just because he was one of these guys that didn't get a combine invite, was disappointed about that. But also, as I was just saying before, we're like, well, at least I'll get to have pro day. I'll get to go have workouts. I'll get to go have meetings. And all that gets washed out. Now, that was the same for a lot of draft prospects, obviously. But it was what did he then have to do to, like, go make himself into a, a guy who could, you know, put some videos out there, have some contacts with teams, and, and maybe get himself pushed into that seventh round. Or maybe there is a little bit more investment or, or a chance of making a roster. So I, I felt just kind of, you know, happy for him that he did some of the things that he had to do and, um, and, and got himself that opportunity. Uh, I did want to double back real quick on JK Dobbins. I had said, I thought, um, you know, JK is, he's not Ezekiel Elliott clearly. Um, I think, you know, Beanie Wells, a healthy Beanie Wells coming out was a better draft prospect than, J.K. and Beanie was a 31st pick at the end of the first round and then had his injury issues that cut short his NFL career. But I did say I thought J.K. was was a better prospect than Carlos Hyde. J.K. was the 55th pick. Carlos Hyde, when he came out, was the 57th pick. And you were talking about 
like I agree with you uh, that what Ryan Day was saying, Nathan, about sort of like don't just get in the league, but get in when you're ready so that you can work toward that second contract and that's where the money's to be made. That's like true sort of with running backs, but also sort of not true with running backs that it's a tough spot. Everybody is seeing now that in the NFL running backs are so interchangeable and this is the, I'm not a new conversation, but unless you are like a pro bowl running back, that second contract it's hard to get it with your current team. Like Ezekiel Elliott got it. Christian McCaffrey got it. People in Cleveland, like we're sort of already speculating, like is Nick Chubb going to get it? Nick Chubb's awesome, but are the Browns going to pay him what it takes to keep him yeah. when he gets to his second sure. contract? Carlos Hyde on his second contract, he was with the 49ers. He actually got his second contract from the Browns. He got a three-year $15 million deal that had $5 million guaranteed. He didn't even make it through the whole first year with the with the Browns. So he wound up getting traded to Jacksonville, uh, and then he's kind of bounced around since then a little bit, wound up with the, uh, the Texans. Um, he's made, according to Over the Cap, which is a really good site for this stuff, he's made almost $12 million in his career. So that's really good for Carlos Hyde. I mean, he's, you know, it's not Chase Young money, but like that's like really good. I'll be like really curious with JK because – People like to talk about, you know, you get, you're sort of in a timeshare. Mark Ingram's there. Like you, you save some hits on your body. But if you are not the guy, that second contract gets like a little hinky with running backs because it's like, well, who wants to pay it? Who wants to pay a lot for a, just a guy who's good when you could pay much less for a guy who's kind of good? So I, good luck to JK. I'll be very curious to see how it works out, but it's just, it's just a tough spot for running backs. But in the end, that's the answer on JK is like, I mean, you know, the first running back taken was taken at 32 JK won at 55. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I don't think he, there wasn't a world where he was going to be a first round pick because running backs don't go in the first round unless they are super, 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 super duper special. And like JK is really good, but he's not that. So is there anybody else that we want to hit on? Again, I sort of ran through the list of, uh, of all the guys who were taken. Um, Malik Harrison, some people wanted the Browns to take him. The Browns took a linebacker from LSU instead right before the Ravens did take Malik Harrison. Jonah Jackson, um, three guys wind up in Detroit, Jay Sean Cornell, Jonah Jackson, Jeff Okuda. Nathan, anybody else you want to hit on in this draft talk? I, I just think uh, similarly, similarly to J.K. Dobbins, I think it's – a really good fit Malik Harrison at Baltimore um, just because that organization right now is obviously really clicking in a lot of ways. And it, it's uh, um, that means they have talent there, but it also means that they know what they're doing. I think it's just, uh, they, they seemed excited to get him and that's a good spot for him to land. So we're going to we're going to get to this soon, but we're going to save it for the Tuesday pod. Cause I'm really excited to talk about it. And I, I wanted to sort of save some of the stuff and I see there is already a mock draft for 2021 at cleveland.com by our friend, Matt Gould, which makes sense because again, the 2021 draft is in Cleveland. So it will be very interesting for all of us. I'm sure, certainly the three of us will be involved in the coverage of that. Um, so that's already out there, but we want to talk about Justin Fields in the 2021 draft and what that is going to look like where he might go, what it will mean for Ohio State if he's drafted really high. We want to dig in on that even more. So we're going to do that on the Tuesday pod. So make sure you listen to Can Justin Fields Make Ohio State QBU? Uh, That will be our Tuesday pod discussion. But I want to tease that with this first. And I do want to run through this. 
Well, we'll run through it right after this break on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Um, here's the number of Ohio State guys who have been picked in the last several drafts. Just put the, year, the years in your head, so I won't say the year. So 2020, it's 10 picks, okay? 10 guys drafted this year. Previous years, 9, 7, 7, 12. That was 2016. 5, 6, 3, 4, 5, 4, 7, 3, 8, 9. And then you go 2005. But 2004, they had 14, which is, by the way, LSU did not break the Ohio State record. Ohio State had two in the modern seven-round draft era. Ohio State had 14 guys taken in 2004. It's sort of like the final, um, that group that won the national title in 2002. A lot of them were still there in 2003. They were drafted in 2004. 14 guys picked. LSU this year, 14 guys picked. And tight end Thaddeus Moss from LSU, a lot of guys thought, a lot of draft analysts thought he would be picked and he wasn't picked. But that kept the LSU from breaking the record. So Ohio State holds on tied for the most overall picks still in a single draft. I want to make a couple points there. That lull between 2010 and 2013, those four drafts, Ohio State had four, five, four, and three total picks. Only one first-rounder in that four-year period, which is crazy to think about now, one first-rounder in four years. Those were the, like, the recruiting classes of about like 2006 to 2009. Ryan Day talked a lot about development. Ryan Day talked a lot about recruiting. That is proof that sort of while Ohio State was still winning, the recruiting and development at the end of the Trestle era really fell off. It really did fall off. And it's proof right there. And so – those 14 guys, that was like Trestle's first recruiting class, and some of them were John Cooper recruits. Um, Ohio State's just at a different level right now, and I wanted to double-pack the 2008 recruiting class. Um, and I, I'm really interested in this, and I've been talking about that I'm going to write it. Ohio State turning five-star recruits into first-round picks. The development of five-stars. I asked Ryan Day about this on the call. 2008, that Ohio State recruiting class, the Terrell Pryor class that was so good, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, six guys in that class who were ranked among the top 50 players in the country as recruits. Three of them were not drafted. Mike Adams was a second rounder and Terrell Pryor and Devere Posey were third rounders. So in that great 2008 class that, that Jim Trestle sort of needed to like revitalize the program a little bit, six top 50 recruits. None of them first-round picks. Now, it got a little sideways. We know with Terrell, who knows? Or maybe there's a world where he's a first-round pick. But development is really part of a key to this with the recruiting stuff. And I just wanted to acknowledge that because it's nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts to think about that Ohio State had a four-year period where they had nine, 16 total picks and one first-rounder in four years. That's crazy. You think about the last four years, for instance – they had 33 total picks and 10 first-rounders. So think about that difference. Think about that difference. So here's what I want to do now, guys, before we get out of here on this podcast. Again, get, get fired up, listeners. Get jacked up for the Justin Fields podcast coming Tuesday. 10 picks in 2020. We sort of talked about on the big podcast a couple of weeks ago how many NFL draft picks are on the 2020 roster. But since it's a draft in Cleveland a year from now, we're going to be in Cleveland for this draft. How many Ohio State Buckeyes will be drafted 
in the 2021 Cleveland draft. We're going to do that exercise right now. And we're going to go by our group votes. I'm going to run through every guy, every senior and possible early uh, enrollee underclassmen. So you have to guess, will they jump early? And also, will they be picked? So it's only the 2021 draft. Let's do this and come up with our number of how many Buckeyes there will be. Here we go. Trey Sermon, will he be drafted in 2021? Yes. Nathan, yes. You both say yes? Yeah. Yes. Very yeah. enthused about Trey Sermon. Huh. Oh, but, well, I don't know about enthused. I mean, he again, I mean, Jay, he, he could be drafted, drafted in the seventh round like Jay Sean Cornell. Yeah. I mean. Mike, Mike Weber was a seventh round draft pick. So, you know. yeah, Mike Weber ran for a thousand yards in an equal timeshare with a guy who was eventually a second round pick. So if Trey Sermon's picked, that means he's probably the lead back in the 2020 season. Is that what you're both assuming with projecting he'll be picked? Yes. I am assuming that right now. Yeah. Based on what we know health wise about the rest of the roster. Okay. I would have said, well, I'm not would have. I will say no, but I'm overruled. So Trey Sermon is one. Uh, Jamario McCall, Steven. No. Nathan. No. No. Uh, Luke Farrell, Nathan. Um, Damn. And that's the end of the yeah, podcast. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, that's, it's tough, right? Because it's, it's tough. I'm going to say yes. I will say, Nathan, I have found this out about you. I love nonsense speculation based on no facts. <laughs> I love it. You don't love it as much as I do. Uh -huh. Sometimes you twist yourself into a knot because the answer in your heart is, well, really, it's too early to make a prediction on that. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. Make your prediction. I don't think it is too early on Farrell. I think he is who he is. And I think NFL teams will see value in that maybe late in the draft. All right. Luke Farrell's a yes. Steven, Luke Farrell. No. All right. He's a yes for me. So that's a yes. Uh, okay. Thayer Munford, Steven. Yes. Nathan. Late. Yes. Yes for me. That's three. Jonathan Cooper, Nathan. No. Steven. No. No for me. Uh, Haskell Garrett, Steven. Yes. Nathan. No. I'll say no also, but I certainly could see it. I see uh, the upside there, yeah. Like, Tough Borland, yeah. Nathan. Oof. Uh, no. And again, I, I'm no, picturing no. all the people who listen to this podcast just waiting now. Tough <laughs> Borland. No. Oh, my God. What are yeah. people going to say? Nathan's a no? I'm going to say no. Uh, Steven? No. No. I will tell you, if K.J. Hill's athleticism was enough of an issue to drop him to the seventh yeah. round. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Justin Hilliard is, has so many injury issues. I, I don't even think, I'm not even going to ask about that. Steven, Baron Browning. Yes. Nathan. Yes. Yes. Me, I'm a for sure yes on that. On having a good year, but also just, I think, having enough quality still there. Um, I think you need to write a column today that the Browns need to take him first round no matter yeah. what next year. Why, yeah. why it's Baron Browning or bust for the Browns? Baron um, Browning, no matter what, it's draft day all yeah. over again. It's the Browns. It's Fire a linebacker. The entire front office if they don't if they don't draft him. That should it's be good because I I could get in some chance. sideways Bill Davis shots in that column as well. Yeah. Um, despite being terribly coached, for, yeah. 
Pete, Pete Werner, the neck, Stephen. Yes. Nathan. Yes. I'll say yes. Uh, Drew Chrisman, Nathan. Uh, sure. Really? Okay. I'm going to hang that one on you. That one you're not getting out of. Uh, we'll be talking <laughs> now. Nathan, what happened to your Drew Chrisman drafted prediction? Um, you went with a let's go with an approach. No. Yeah. Oh, see, that's the thing. I, I get on Nathan for not just randomly speculating. And then when he does randomly <laughs> speculate, I'm like, that was ridiculous. Uh, but it was like a, it was like a, why not? Let, let's yeah. get him drafted. Last pick in the draft. Steven, do you think Drew Chrisman will be drafted? I do not know. Okay. Me neither. Um, all right. Now we're getting into the more complicated guys because some of them are like, it's not the issue of, really will they be drafted is will they be drafted in 2021 because will they come out we just went through all the seniors justin fields is an obvious yes from from everybody in the world so we're not even going to ask about that chris olave steven in 2021 coming out as a true junior i think so yeah nathan i think i think he doesn't come out i think it's a no certainly could go either way i'm going to say no also uh, Jeremy Ruckert, Nathan. Yes. Steven. No. No, I'll say no also. I think he sticks around for a true senior year. Yeah, uh, I can see why he would – I could see him I, – I understand why it could be a yes, though, but I'm going to go no. So, so, Nathan, if he comes out, does, do you think Jeremy Ruckert comes out because – he has a really good year and he strikes while the iron is hot or does he come out in frustration because he thinks I'm never going to be used to my utmost abilities here? I think it would have to be the former more than the latter, because if it's not the former, then, it, then you're taking Farrell out of the rotation for his presumptive senior year, giving him in, in theory, more opportunities. So I think it'd be the, the first thing. Yeah. Jeremy Ruckert, if he comes back for senior year is going to be like the tight end dude. Cause Jake Houseman's a senior in 2020 as well. That's a good point. Um, Wyatt Davis, we're all a yes on Wyatt Davis. Josh mm -hmm. Myers, Nathan. Yeah. Josh mm -hmm. Myers is really hard. Josh Myers is an NFL yeah. draft pick. He is a redshirt junior, so he'll have four years in. Will he come back as a redshirt senior? Billy Price I did. Billy Price could have been coming, you know, could have come out after his fourth year, he came back for year five and then was a first rounder. I think it's really hard on Josh Myers. I'm going to say yes, but I'm also going to say that if it's one of those fluky years where there is some kind of crazy depth at interior offensive line, then maybe he backs off and, and comes back for his senior year. Steven. Yes, under that same premise. What does yeah. his position look like as far as depth in the draft? I'll say yes also, but could certainly go either way. Tyreek Smith, Steven. <sighs> No. Nathan. No. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna lean yes on Because of this in Cleveland. <laughs> One is Tyreek mm. gets to show what he can do and that it being in Cleveland is the tiebreaker. Which That's which of true. course I mean it's really not it, on the list of nine things, the nine pros and cons you would weigh about would you come out in the draft or not, right? Maximizing your draft spot goals you want to still accomplish at Ohio State, your relationship with your teammates, 
trying to help your family or just wanting to get to the league and like maximizing your earning power in the NFL, like all that kind of stuff, what people are telling you about your draft spot. But I think for a guy like Tyreek, it could be almost like 50, 50 that there's good reasons to go and good reasons to come back. And just like, man, you know what? I can be on the stage for like the return of football in my hometown. You know, like, I just think it might be like too awesome to turn down. So, um, but you guys are two no's on him, right? So that's a no. Yeah. yeah Tyler, um, Tyler Friday. I don't know. I'm a no. Just because yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, it's a no. Um, Tommy Togiai. Nathan first. Uh, no. Steven. I cringed as I said. No. I'll say no also, but again, if that guy pops, who knows? I'm not going to throw out any of the linebackers who haven't played yet. Um, Sean Wade is a sure thing. Yes, everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah. Seven seven banks, Steven. Yes, under the Marshawn Lattimore law. Yep. Nathan. Um, I'm going to say no. Could go either way. I'll, I'm going to say no on the Sean Wade law, that even if you're really good, you may need that extra year to prove you're really, really good. Yeah, but that's different, though. Sean was stuck inside, and he's trying to prove he's outside. Seven's going to be outside, so he's going to have that proven already. Probably. We'll see. That's, that's the main difference, I think. That's good arguments either way. Again, I think 50-50. I'll say no, though. I'll say no. And Nathan, Josh Proctor. No. Steven. I have, yes. I have to stay on brand and say yes. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's really a one because, like, Josh Proctor is getting his shot yeah. to do his thing. That's kind of like the Malik Hooker version of the Marshawn Lattimore plan, which is also the Malik mm-hmm. Hooker plan. But, like, again, possible. I'm going to lean no. You know, it's like some of these guys, you really could go either way. But with our voting, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine guys. Trey Sermon. God, my, my handwriting is so difficult. <clears throat> Trey Sermon, Luke Farrell, Thayer Munford, Baron Browning, Pete Werner, Justin Fields, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Sean Wade are our predicted Buckeyes drafted in Cleveland in 2021. Um, that would keep up a string. Um, Should we – what about um, third-year sophomores? Oh, yeah. Like, like, yeah, there are some – yeah. Third year, so- okay. So, third year sophomore candidates. I mean, it really be. I think he might Robinson, just be him. Nicholas Petit and, Frere, and, um, and Johnson, Javante Jean Baptiste. Yeah. 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 I suppose Master Teague if he were healthy, but. So, is there anybody that would say yes? To I don't think guys? I would. The, the closest I have to a yes is Teron Vincent, it's but Teron. I think I'd probably yeah. still say because he missed all last year, he'll end up mm-hmm. coming back. Okay. Um, that's what I would say as well. Um, all right. What so Blake Hobo? And Blake, you want to, you want to go on Blake? You want to go? How about, uh, <laughs> just want to make sure go we cover all the go bases. All in, go all in on the special teams guys. <laughs> Do you think Jake Seibert could kick, kick for a year and then fight the NFL like Maurice Claret did to try to see if he can get immediate eligibility for the draft? And as a great shirt. Yeah. Um, I think he'll go kick in, like, Australia for a year or two and then yeah. come back. Yeah. Um, all right. So if that if they do have nine, that would be the third straight year with at least nine. They had 20 
Uh, they had 10 this year and nine last year. So that's our prediction. Nine Ohio State Buckeyes drafted in Cleveland in 2021. Um, thanks for listening to this podcast. We're going to dig in on the Justin Fields NFL future and what it means to Ohio State in the Tuesday podcast and big Wednesday podcast. And I don't even think I've told Nathan and Steven this. We are starting uh, the season previews that we're going to do one a week, previewing an opponent for 2020. We're going to go through the schedule in order. I have an interview set up with a Bowling Green beat writer uh, to be part of this Wednesday podcast. And then the following Wednesday, uh, I think we will make almost the entire big Wednesday podcast an Ohio State, Oregon preview. And I've set up uh, an interview with an Oregon beat writer for that. So we are starting this. This is 12 weeks. So this will take us to like mid-July. And we are going to operate under the assumption that all systems are go for the 2020 football season. And even if they're not, it's still fun to talk about. So we will start Wednesday. We won't do two hours with the Bowling Green beat writer, but it will be part of the Wednesday pod. But first, the Tuesday pod, Justin Fields, make Ohio State QBU. That's our draft recap for the 2020 NFL draft. We appreciate you guys listening. Again, try the text, 614-350-3315. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts and read all of our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. For now, for Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk.